It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. There's jazz, and there's sax, and there's my guest, saxophonist, recording artist, and composer, D. Lucas. He's performing in the Copa Room at the Bootlegger Italian Bistro this Friday, October 20th at 9 p.m. For ticket information, go to aegrouplv.com, aegrouplv.com, and for everything about D. Lucas, including his new album, No Boundaries, go to dlucas.com, and you can follow him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And D, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So why the sax? How's that for a question? <laughs> As opposed Man, to piano the, or horn? <laughs> yeah, you know what? I grew up, when I, was, when I was growing up listening to music, I was a big fan of the bass guitar. But as I got older and got, when I was in college, that's when I started gravitating to the saxophone. Thanks to Grover Washington Jr. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could have done both. Could have kept the guitar in the repertoire, right? Yeah, actually, I could have uh, <laughs> sex. It's, it's just something about that voice, man. You know, I was just thinking, and this is going to sound a little bit awful, but some people think about sex on the road, but in your case, it's sax on the road because you're always touring as well as recording albums. <laughs> people tease me all the time. They call me the road warrior because I'm constantly on the road. But, you know, I really enjoy performing for people. I really think that's my true calling. So... What is the most exotic locale you've been to? Has it been somewhere in the United States or overseas? Uh, where, where have you been? I haven't been overseas yet. That's already in the plans for next year, uh, 2024. Good. But I would say most exotic. I really can't say of exotic, <laughs> but just... <laughs> so I, I think some of the coolest spots I performed was in San Diego. West Coast is really nice. Yeah. Uh, some Agreed. beautiful uh, scenes, uh, some of the venues that are very pleasant. Now, I tell you, I have one coming up in uh, Sedona near those Red Rocks, man. I just cannot wait to perform there. Yeah, that's an exciting place. And that is actually, it's unique and it is exotic in its own way, even though it's domestic. So that's great that you're going there as well. Is this your first time in Las Vegas performing or have you been here before? Actually, I've been uh, to Las Vegas a couple of times. When you were first growing up and you talked about changing over from instrument one to instrument two, which is now instrument one, of course, the sax. Did you have any professional role models, in a way, people that you looked up to from just listening to their recordings or watching their performances or people that you met? Was there anybody that had a major influence on you? Uh, actually, it was a combination of both. And what I mean by that, let's, stay, let's start with recordings. Okay. Uh, my love affair with the saxophone started with Grover Washington, George Howard, David Sanborn, Ronnie Laws. And then also some of the more traditional guys like uh, Coltrane, Miles. But saxophone, Grover Washington, man, that was where a lot of my influence come from. George Howard, that smooth sound, but at the same right. time, very melodic. Now, in terms of direct friends, it wasn't until I moved to Atlanta and I started seeing some of the local musicians. Now, they are the ones that really inspired me to push forward 
and pursue a, a musical career. I used to go out to the music, uh, to the jazz clubs and used to see them. And I tell you, once you listen to some of the live performances from some of these talented uh, musicians in Atlanta, it gave me the hunger to move forward. So it was very inspiring to see some of these cats. If you want to give them a shout out, feel free. If you want to mention any particular yes, ones. Yes, indeed. A big shout out to Melvin uh, Miller, Antonio Allen, Jimmy Brown. We call, He was the sax player from Brick. Man, uh, Darren Emery. Uh, it's just so many. Uh, Kelly O'Neill plays with a lot with Eric Essex and a lot of uh, a lot of the great smooth jazz artists today. To us a lot with them. And if D didn't mention your name, don't worry about it because I just sprung the question on him and he did pretty good naming at least six or seven people. So that was great that you're able to do that. Are you in touch with some of those locals and are they are they aware of your success and your touring and recording career? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, it's uh, mine. It's, it's I was going to say mine, but it was very uh, interesting because sometimes now they call me. They said, D. How are you getting all your gigs? <laughs> and, and, but it's, it's really, uh, it's, a, it's a compliment to say the least. Uh, they're very proud of me. They say it all the time. And, you know, they're doing their thing uh, a lot in the area and, and mm-hmm. abroad as well. But they're very uh, amazed on how well I've progressed and grown over the years. And we have strong conversations, very candid conversations about the music business, about life in general. So to answer your question, yes, I still stay in contact with, you know, who I call friends. I think part of the reason that you get all these gigs, besides your talent, clearly, is you are an entrepreneur. Many people don't know that, but you are, in the best sense of the word, you are always generating business. You're always looking around for opportunities. You're always performing. All those three things come together. And I think that's the key. And luck, of course, has to be in there as well. So, but I think being an entrepreneur really helps you, and and maybe that's something you share with your friends so that they see how what you're doing and how you're doing it. Right. Well, uh, just being an entrepreneur, it puts you in a different mindset, a different headspace in terms of it's all on you. If you don't pursue, you don't get, so to speak. Right. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, if you work in corporate America or whomever, then a lot of things are laid out for you. So, but as an entrepreneur, you have to create your, your path and that creates a certain hunger. So I, I, that's just something I always wanted to, uh, strive for is to, you know, own some things that I create. You know, there's an old saying, you know, know what you own and own what you know. But at the same time, you want to leave a legacy. I know personally, I want to leave a legacy behind, not only to my family, but to generations of upcoming artists. That's a noble sentiment. I, I like it. I just thought of a slogan for you, and that is, D. Lucas is not on the payroll. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> he, does, he doesn't have time to get on anybody's payroll other than his own because he's an entrepreneur, so there you go. <laughs> right, exactly. I, I want to switch from business to artistry. What goes on in your mind when you're playing the sax, either in a recording session or on stage? As again, we mentioned that you're going to be performing in the Copa Room at the Bootlegger Italian Bistro this Friday, October 20th at 9 p.m. What goes on creatively inside of me is I try, it's not, I always say it's not about me. It's about the other people, the, the people. It's about what can I deliver for them? And uh, I'm a big, I'm a stickler for humanity. What can you do to make the world better? And if you look around, there's a lot of things 
going around that there's a lot of things around you that can that could stand improvement. Uh, so everyone, and I'm sure everyone has a lot going on in their lives or have experienced some things. So as a musician and as an artist, I feel that is one of my callings is to provide hope, uh, to heal, to understand. So whether it's through a recording or on stage, it is my passion to deliver to those endpoints out there because those endpoints, they need something. They need something that they can drive home to, something that can get them through the day. And I think that is my purpose in music. Are you consciously thinking that as you're performing either in a recording setting or in a live performance? Absolutely, because mm -hmm. again, I'm constantly thinking about making cha uh, changing lives. That's my whole mm -hmm. thing. And I'm, I'm a 56 years old, so I have seen, I have grown, I've seen the changes of what's going on in the world, you know, and I want to make a difference. But I'm constantly thinking about how can we make things better? And that's the theme of my music. It's not about a lot of the, uh, the things that you see right in front of you in terms of love or the entertainment part. I think I'm about content, storytelling, storytelling that everyone can relate to. What's going on with someone? Death, relationship. I try not to stay, get into the political thing because that's a very subjective thing, but right. I think everyone has a common denominator in love. Everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to be, wants to feel love. Everyone wants to be happy. I don't think no one wants to be sad. <laughs> so, so I think everyone wants to live a comfortable life and provide that for them if they can. You mentioned you were 56. You look very young for 56. I'm 28. Look how old I look. So well, there you go. Don't, don't say that. Man. <laughs> <laughs> you look just fine, man. But I tell you. Uh, I'm not really 28. I'm 25, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tell you. Uh, <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to quote something for, about you. Uh, and, it, I'm, and so this is a quote. So it's not me saying it. It says, your style from a horn perspective is different from that of many traditional smooth jazz artists in terms of melodic phrasing, unquote. Could you explain that a little bit more than I described it? Yes, I can. And what I can allude to is being that I'm self-taught, being that I'm self-taught, it puts you in a position where you have to learn almost trial by fire, so to speak. You are in a position where you do things creatively. You, you learn things theoretically, traditionally, but at the same time, if you're learning, if you're creating your own, you create your own sound, your own sound. Whereas if I went through the formal training as a 10-year-old, well, through formal training comes certain standards. You have to learn a certain way. You study the, you know, you study the standards, you study the theory, and everything sounds the same. And the biggest challenge with that, and it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's just, a, it's just an academia thing is to develop your own sound. You develop your own character. Well, if you are self-taught, in my opinion, it's one thing to learn the theory side, but if you are basing things on what you hear from within, therein lies creativity, uniqueness, style. And I feel that's one of the, I think that's a lifelong 
challenge for mm-hmm. any artist is to create their unique sound where if someone was to play your record and if they can identify your sound within five seconds of that song, you have done something. You have created something magical because if you're not careful, if you study, if everyone studied in the room the same thing, and if that's all you know, then that's what's going to come out. Mm-hmm. Just That's just my opinion. You mentioned something you skipped over it in a way I thought it was pretty profound in the sense that you're self-taught because there are people that are self-taught and they don't reach the levels and production that you have or productivity that you have in terms of all the albums and performances. Did you make a conscious decision to be self-taught or how did that work as opposed to working with someone to teach you or instruct you on how to right. play the sax? Well, it, it definitely wasn't by design that I wanted to self-teach myself. It's just the way things played out in my life. I always wanted to play. I want. I always wanted to play an instrument as a kid. But growing up in my environment, I grew up in a small town, and my family, you know, a hardworking family, you know, so economics could be challenging. So it was one of those things where pick sports or pick band. And in the the community that I grew up in, the community really embraced sports more so. Mm-hmm. And I, I love sports as well. So I opted for sports. Uh, so, but I've always, always wanted to pursue music. At some point in time, I said, I'm going to pick up an instrument and I'm going to create. So it wasn't until I graduated from college and I moved to Atlanta when I picked up the saxophone. Now, picking up the saxophone and learning. Now that's where the challenges come because you don't know where to start. So that's where networking directly with people out in the communities where you have a mentor, you know, teaching lessons here and there, but weekly lesson with him, but I still have six more days to learn on my own. So it was a combination of working with someone, going out to the clubs, listening to live music to kind of get that, that hunger, that hunger as well. And at the same time, training your ear on what you hear on records, developing ear training and uh, just creating every day. And then, Time will progress, and you see the growth. And that's what that ha- that's what happened to me over the years is that self-taught, a combination of listening to records, listening to influences, grabbing information from musicians that's come before you. So, well, I know you've been cited as the hardest working indie artist in the music industry, and that ties in with your entrepreneurship as well as what you just talked about being self-taught. That that takes a lot of discipline. That takes a lot of commitment over a long period of time to get to that level. So it's not just learning an instrument, it's learning an instrument to the point where you become a professional musician, and then you're recording and you're performing and touring. That's not easy. And you mentioned earlier about mentors. Have you thought about turning the tables in a way and becoming a mentor to other people who would like to become musicians? And maybe not necessarily tutoring them, but giving them the inspiration on one-on-one meetings or other kinds of connections to also follow the path that you took. Absolutely. Now, one of the things I definitely have made note, self-note, is that I do want to give back to those coming uh, up under me. That's that's going to come up eventually, and they're going to take the torch. One of the things that I want to share, not so much the nuts and bolts of music, they're going to get that through their their academia, their mm-hmm. form of training. 
but the other side of the world, and that's the business side. So yes, I would like to talk to them, like to set up a, you know, consultation or what we call uh, sessions, shops, musical workshops, and talk about the business side because it's it's eighty five percent business and fifteen percent entertainment, and you know, historically that's where a lot of our great artists have you know, falling into, you know, trouble is not knowing the business side and it wasn't balanced in their livelihood to know the business side parallel to the uh, the artistry side. But yes, I would definitely love to uh, become more of a mentor to those coming up behind me to learn and have a balance. I could see the D. Lucas camp where you go and mm-hmm. you learn the business side of music and the artist side of music. And, right. or elements thereof, so you can get a sense of it. I think that's a great idea because you're absolutely right, and especially in, you go back to the 30s, 40s, 50s, and into the 60s, where artists generally were taken advantage of, and because they didn't know the business side, because they were creatives, and they just wanted to focus on their art, and you had business people exploiting, and it's the way it worked, I guess. In those, right. You in know, those. and to add to that, Iris, that timing is everything, and since that's something I want to pursue, I think personally, I need more time. I need more under my belt to obtain for myself. I think there's a lot of experiences that I need to go through so I can tell those stories. Right now, my, my career is still building, even though I've been a recording artist. Next, in 2024, we we'll make 20 years as a solo recording artist. However, mm-hmm. it seems like yesterday. And as an indie artist, it seems like you're steady, you're growing. It gets better every year, but the years add up. So I think for me personally, and I'm just being humble with this, I think I need more time before I get in front of someone to consult or advise because I'm still learning as well. Yeah, no, that's totally understandable. And you're going to do it between nine and seven also, so... I throw that out as a little cue to the point that you <laughs> you got your start as a musician, as a sideman in, in a local band called Between 9 and 7, for those who may not know. So I thought I'd throw that in there. And you have a record label, ODL Music. So tell us a little bit about that. Again, you're the guy with ODL. Right. Uh, well, I formed that one in 2016. Basically, the, you know, the story behind why music label. Well, it's still part of the music the business component of it is that whatever you create, you need to own and protect. And by learning all aspects of the music business, why not create a record label, a record company that you can pretty much manage, self-manage, and just watch everything prosper around you? It's not easy, but I find it to be very fun. I I find it to be inspiring. It's very challenging. And the rewards are great. I mean, the things that you see now is what you're planting seeds for the years to come. So that's what I see in my record label is continued growth of ownership. I want to talk to you a little bit about your performance coming up again at the Copa Room or in the Copa Room at the Bootlegger Italian Bistro, August 20th at 9 p.m. You're going to be playing some of the music from your new album, No Boundaries, correct? That is correct. This is my 10th album. It was released uh, earlier this year, but I'm going to feature some of the uh, songs from the uh, the current record. Uh, but I'm also going to inject some 
other songs from the entire catalog. And I may put some special covers in there, some friendly fire, as we call it. Yeah, I definitely want to uh, push the uh, current record. The record has been doing really well this year. Very pleased with it. Uh, it's a lot of good stuff, you know, ahead. But it's going to be a lot of fun. But the main thing at the Copa Room in Las Vegas is that I want to be able to put smiles on people's face. Well, I'm getting just a vibe, not only from you, but from your single, which is from that album, which I assume will be performed as well. Absolutely. But now when you're performing, are you solo or do you work with backup musicians? Oh, yeah. I work with backup bands. Uh, I just think it's very important to communicate with uh, musicians on stages. It's part of having a dialogue. I prefer to communicate and have fun with backing musicians. And the good thing about it is that when you perform in different markets, you're playing with a lot of different styles of musicians. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's great, too, because sometimes the unknown, it puts you on, uh, on notice, too. Oh, okay, I like what he's doing. And it sometimes it brings out the best in you as well, because you don't know what they can bring something to the table that you don't have. And I think that's right. the art side, the creativity side. I would think it's also the other way around, too, where these musicians that you interact with and play with at different venues and in different towns and cities, they'll get something from working with you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I think from where they sit, I think they definitely see it as a plus and as a challenge as well, because every artist is different. Every artist is different, not only from a musical standpoint but from a character standpoint, a personality standpoint. And it also teaches them on how to raise their game or to maintain a certain level of musicianship. How important is humor in jazz and in your performances? Is it an element or are you very serious in communicating what you want to communicate as we discussed earlier? A little bit of both. I would say I'm serious about the craft. I don't I don't want to dumb it down in terms of uh, the integrity of the music, but at the same time, music is supposed to be fun. I think you're supposed to have fun performing. It's Again, it's, it's called the communication without talking. Mm-hmm. So how can you do that without talking? And that's, that's the fun part. How do you figure it out? But at the same time, you don't want to get on stage and just not protect the music. And what I mean by that, if you're going to play a note, play the note. Is the best note that you can, because it may not be your, that may be the last time you play that note again. I understand. So that's my mentality. That's my mentality is that play it, play it with passion, play it with meaning, because these people out there are listening to you and you are giving them, you're having a conversation with them. And it's just like you are not talking. You don't want me just to say anything to you. You want me to say something with the meaning, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, so that's the communication. So therefore, it ha- that part has to be protected. It has to be serious. But the content can be human. Mm-hmm. And how we go about it can be human. But the result of it has to be serious. There are musicians, and I've seen them, where, especially on the jazz side, where they perform in clubs, and they're a little standoffish on stage. They seem to be in their own world, and they're not communicating. They're like too cool for the room. So as a result, they're a little bit aloof, and the audience can pick up on that except some of the audiences aloof because they're in that jazz uh, genre feel that one gets sometimes. But I like your approach, which is to be serious about the music, the integrity of the music, but at the same time, have fun with what you're doing. And I tell you, see, we live in an information world. We live, the internet 
it, the best thing about the internet is that it has allowed us to connect directly with the people. It has allowed us to talk to people over in Brazil, over in the UK, without, I mean, much more directly. So, but at the end of the day, people want to be a part of something. So as an artist, open up to them. They want to get in your world. They want to be a part. They want to be a part of an artist. They want to know where you are. How do you approach things? But if you are standoffish, eh, it doesn't go as well because they want to know. They want to feel a part of something. Even if after the show, even if you're not selling music, if you take a picture with them and say, hey, thanks for coming out, you have made direct connection to them and they feel so much. They, they feel special about that. That's that's a special part right there. It is. A, it's a part of growing and maintaining your fan base, too, which you're very uh, acutely attuned to. And I think it makes sense on a human level, as well as we talked about earlier, you're, you really are connecting on once the performance is done and you're talking with people, you're connecting with them on a human level. And that leaves an impression for a long, long time. Absolutely. You know, see, the days of when the show is over, you go in the back in the limousine and you out. So now those days are over because those people, after you give that performance, they are in the lobby. They're waiting for you to come out and talk to them. They may have questions. Who knows? It could be a musician out there in that lobby. They may want to ask you a question and you can dialogue and provide that for them. You never know. And it's surprising. You may find out that somebody that you met that night turns out to be a club owner in another city and says, hey, you know, D, come on over and perform here too as well. It's part of the networking yeah. process. Before I let you go, what are you looking at for the next, say, five years in terms of your overall plan? To grow as an artist, I'm making assumptions here, but I think it's true, to grow as an artist, to obviously grow your, your label, and to develop other interests as well. But I, I'll shut up now and let you actually tell us. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> I think importantly is is definitely to grow as an artist internally as an as an artist. The biggest challenge is that I don't want to put out music that sounds the same. You find yourself writing the same thing over and over and over again. So, in order for that to happen, two things in my opinion has to happen. I have to stay in tune with what's going on around me, whether current events or what's going on in everyone's lives. And the other thing is. I think to be successful, whether it's music or any business, I think you should always have some type of team, whether it's a third party team. Success, you have to have support, have to have a supporting cast. And I think for me, musically, in order for me to grow, I have to continue to get involved with producers that can elevate what I'm trying to say. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been saxophonist, recording artist and composer. D. Lucas, he's performing in the Copa Room at the Bootlegger Italian Bistro this Friday, October 20th at 9 p.m. And for ticket information, go to aegrouplv.com, aegrouplv.com. And for everything about D. Lucas, including his new album, which we talked about, No Boundaries, go to dlucas.com and follow him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And D, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. It was a pleasure. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Anything you want us to be.